Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the 442 Podcast. I'm Azair Madhani, and as always, I am joined by the spirit of Tommy Sondi and the beautiful Tony O. I was expecting Tommy to shout, that's me, in the background. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, well... You're going to be seeing this, dear listeners, on a slightly unusual day of the week, and uh, that's because we're deciding to bring something a little bit different this time around. Um, When we started this podcast, one of the things we really wanted to do was um, shine a light on some of the more grassroots uh, football that goes on in Canada, because that's what we're involved when that's what we've been playing, like, for all intents and purposes. That is our level. And since uh, Tony, Tommy... Speak for your damn self. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Speak for your damn self. You know, I was was doing a lovely introduction and you've just come across (laughs) and interrupted me. Okay. All right. Uh, Go ahead. Go ahead. No. You you go ahead and take it away now. I know. I just, you know... yeah, I, there was Couldn't the potential to turn. do better. But um, no, I've been looking forward to this. Uh, I, I really have. Um, it's something we wanted to do um, right from the get-go. Uh, there are a lot of, I guess, stories about football that get untold. We like to focus on the aspects, like professional aspects. And ultimately, the soul of the game is in the community and the impact that the sport has on the community. And that's how we all met, right? We weren't looking to go pro or we weren't looking to, I don't know. We didn't have some. Speak for yourself. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, we just wanted to, you know, play football with like-minded people. And um, here we are. Um, we have an opportunity to talk to the man who kind of brought us all together in a way, you know? So. This man is uh, pretty much the reason this podcast exists, um, and he is also a pillar of the football community in Kingston. He is our commish, Mike Smith. Welcome to the podcast, Mike. Well, thank you very much, Zaire. Uh, Tony O, happy, honored to be the first uh, first guest on 442. Uh, it's only right. It's only fitting, Mike. Um, yeah, yeah, it's not like we could have started with anyone else. I don't know. There was rumors you were trying to start with Ahmed. <laughs> that was Ahmed. He's pushing his own agenda. So, Mike basically runs uh, Nooners, which is Noonar Soccer at Queen's University in Kingston. Um, it's just pick up football, played at noon every day out on the fields. And Tony, I guess you joined in about 20. 11 right um 2011 i think 2010 actually 2010 i forget how old you are sometimes (laughs) thanks and uh i came in in around 2013 but mike how did you start off getting involved in football like was it super early on in your life or did it come more as you were growing up like what are your first involvements and memories in terms of football the the first time that I played soccer was when I was 12, and um, that summer, Bob Machen, who is pretty famous in the Kingston soccer community, uh, Bob's been involved for, I don't know, 50 years or something crazy, and uh, his dad, 
wanted to get Bob involved. So Bobby got on his bike and went around the neighborhood finding uh, anybody who was, uh, you know, under 12 and had a white shirt. And, and that's how we formed our team. So that was 1968. Um, youth soccer in Kingston didn't exist outside of like the Portuguese community, the Italian community, the Greeks. Those guys were always playing soccer from when they were little. But uh, white bread guys like me, you know, had never touched a soccer ball. So uh, what would happen is John Machen would pile us into a pickup truck and drive us to a field where we would uh, face like a team of Portuguese that were, had complete uniforms, you know. We'd pile out of the truck in our mismatched white shirts and proceed to get slaughtered. <laughs> and then, you the know. tradition. Yeah, that was still going on <laughs> for many well, years after. <laughs> I mean, it, you have no idea how intimidating this was. We would show up and like half the half the team, the other team would need a shave, you know, and and we would just be these little white guys who were just victims. Um, so that that was the only year that I played soccer. I my coaching memories, there two stood out. Uh, one of the coaches broke his big toe teaching us how to kick the ball. That was a highlight. Oh God, yeah. And the other one, I don't know who this was, but one of my teammates was running down the field, not paying attention, and the coach kicked the ball out. I guess he was playing goal. And this, you know, missile comes out of the air and hits the kid in the back of the head and flattens him. Oof. And we thought this was hilarious. It was hilarious. But today, that would never happen, but if it did, you'd have a concussion protocol and who knows, you know? Like the kid wouldn't be allowed to play for a couple of weeks. Yeah. Anyways, that was soccer in 1968. Um, Bobby came by in 1969 and none of us wanted to play. We Is it too many beatings off the Portuguese? And everybody else. <laughs> Between that and the concussions, you know, it's slightly understandable. We had, I think we won one game, and that was because as we were driving to the field, Bobby spotted a kid who was a hockey player. I don't even remember who this was, but he was a real athlete. And Hang on, you say as you were driving to the field, was this just some random kid on the side of the road? Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to, oh. Yeah, yeah. It was some. Oh. It was just a kid that Bobby knew, so we pulled over and asked him to come and play on our team. Oh, okay. And he scored like three goals or something, and and we won the game, or maybe we tied, or maybe maybe we lost eight three, but <laughs> it felt like a win, you know. Uh... So why, why didn't you guys sign this guy up? Well. I think his parents or his hockey coach found out about this and wouldn't let him play. Ah, disgraceful. Yeah. Disgraceful. This this one move may have set Canadian football <laughs> back decades. 
Well, we had a good day, and whoever that was, I, I thank him. Maybe Bob Machen would remember this. Another thing that I really connected with you on, Mike, is that we're both uh, Man United fans. Did you start supporting, did you start watching football and supporting Man United around this time, or was that something that came later? There was no soccer on TV when I was a kid. Um, on PBS, there was made, soccer made in Germany. Soccer made in Germany. And that, uh, we only got PBS when the weather conditions were perfect. So I have vague memories of this black and white hour show of the Bundesliga. Um, but I wasn't following any team. Uh, in the 80s, you could see Liverpool once in a while. They were winning everything. And yeah. I can't even remember what channel that was on or, or how that worked. Um, I started Mike, I can, I, I, can only, I can only commend your strength of will for not becoming a <laughs> Liverpool fan in the 80s. Well, I, I probably was a Liverpool fan since it was the only team that I ever saw. I oh, started, I careful, started, Mike. Careful. Yeah, I know. Um, Mike, I, don't make me hang up on this. No, no. <laughs> like, you, can, I, I, you can edit this out, of course. <laughs> uh, I don't know, Mike. This is pretty scandalous. It might have to stay in. Well, I started following United in the 90s. Um, I had a friend, Rod Dunn. He played noon hour soccer. And Rod was a true United fan. And he had, I don't know, some kind of satellite operation or something. And we used to go over to his place and watch the big games. And this was in the Beckham era and maybe even a little before Beckham became Beckham. I was following England. I had been following England in the World Cup. So, you know, of course I remember 86 and the hand of God and, you know, every four years we would, there'd be some other disaster that befell England, right? Or they wouldn't qualify. Like, what year did they miss? Did they miss the US? Uh, they, missed, they missed 94. Yeah. They missed 94, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I actually went to a couple games in, in 94. I saw the opening game between the U.S. and Switzerland. And oh, nice. the U.S., I think it was 1-1. It was a huge thing for, the, for Team USA. And then I saw Germany maybe beat Sw uh, Spain in Chicago. I think it was Germany-Spain. That's a hell of a game to go yeah. to. Yeah. It was Man, a beautiful Germany, day. Spain? I think it was Germany, Spain. This is, somebody do the math for me, 25 years ago. Uh, 94? 94, 27? 27 mm -hmm. years ago? Yeah, yeah 27. 27. Yeah. yeah. It was a gorgeous day at uh, Soldier Field. Uh, it was really, we had a great, great time on that trip. Anyways, so, so my soccer, following United was really because I, I liked England and they had all those great players for, you know, a decade or something in there. Hey, we'll, uh, we'll take the fans however we can get them. Um, one thing is you've already mentioned a couple of Nooners and I just want to explore how you kind of got involved in this community. 
because, I mean, Nooners has been going on for quite some time now. What's it, 40 years or something like that at Queen's? This, um, this right. just pickup league has been going on now. And I just want to, how did you get involved in that? Because you're such a central part of it now. I, uh, I first played in 1977, I think. I was a student in uh, computing science, and that's where Nooners started. It had been going on for, I'm not even sure, like three or four years. We think it might have started in 1973. It began as a practice for the computing and math grad league team. So the guys who were playing in that league decided they needed to practice, and they started going out at noon hour to Cricket Field, which, uh, for those who know, don't know Kingston, that was just a big green space in front of the courthouse, which was just a block away from Queen's University. So that was a big open field, and we would go out there, and almost everybody was wearing uh, white, clothing issued by the phys ed center and half the guys would take their shirts off we play skins versus shirts this is before everybody had jerseys of their favorite team or favorite players and uh, it wasn't a rectangle there was no lines there was you just kind of eyeball you know basically if you were still on grass you were it was still in play like if you hit a tree or the road, that was out. That was out. Or the the baseball diamond. We tried to keep it away from the baseball diamond. Was it still the same thing that it is today, where you set up a couple of shoes at each end as goals? Yeah, I think in those days we just used the shirts because we had lots yeah, of spare shirts. It was. My earliest memory of these games, it was always uh, goals below the waist, no hands, uh, and last goal wins. Oh, so sliding was allowed? Well, sliding wasn't allowed, but the the no sliding rule evolved over time. Mm, Uh, Okay. You know, now if, if you fall over, that's sliding. It didn't used to be like that. You got to remember that when I started, so I was 20, uh, 21, the, old, the oldest person out there was, yeah, I don't know, maybe 40. Uh, like he was considered ancient. Right? <laughs> Max Vernet, you guys know Max, right? Oh, oh. Yeah, yeah, we know Max. Right, so oh. Max would have been you know, on the upper end of the spectrum at 40. So anyways, that, that's how I started. And, and so for the first few years, I was just a student. And uh, the game was played Monday, Wednesday, Friday. It was only played in uh, outdoors. There were, there was no games during the winter. And in uh, 1978, I left Kingston for three years. And when I came back, I ended. I, I went back to noon hour soccer. It hadn't changed in the three years I was gone. We're now into the early '80s, and it. We still played on cricket field, 
but we started to get more and more uh, students who were not, I mean, the grad league team that had started it all, they, those people weren't playing grad league anymore. They were only playing at noon hour. It was more fun than grad league. So was it just word of mouth that kind of spread it around, like people bring in their friends? Because I don't know how Tony ended up joining, but for me, it was 100% just a friend who knew that I liked football saying, oh, there's people that play uh, on Tyndall Field um, at noon every weekday. You can go check it out and me ha happening to have a free day and just turning up with the paracletes. Now, yeah, mine was... Yeah. Uh, uh, Mine was uh, a friend and I were just shooting. We're just taking shots probably around 11. And uh, this was in the summer. And we just saw a group of guys playing, um, gathering as they started to play on the other side of the field. So we figured, oh, we'll see if they, they want to take two more. So, yeah, I wa we walked on over. And, yeah, that's basically how it started. Um, spoke to Mike and uh, yeah he let me know that they play every day at well every weekday at noon so yeah uh, not I wasn't invited is there I kind of forced myself into the situation basically <laughs> <laughs> yeah I wasn't that special but, um, there there was always a connection amongst the grad students uh, so the department Though professors in the computing department, the math department, they continued to play, and, but it was grad students that kind of rejuvenated the, the game, you know, year after year. I mean, you saw the same thing. You guys probably played for, well, Tony, you played for a decade, almost? Yeah, almost. Uh, and is yeah, there, about eight. You, you, eight years, right? Yeah. And then... And then um, this was pretty common and you, somebody would discover it as a student if they were really lucky they discovered it as an undergrad but more often it was a master's student and a whole bunch of people decided to do a PhD at Queens because they you know they didn't want to leave noon hour soccer uh, this is. Uh, I mean, Mike. I'm. I'm not saying uh, that's why I <laughs> stayed and did a master's, but you know, it definitely helped. Yeah. There, there was always right from the beginning. There was an international flavor to it. the The game was started by a couple Irish guys, and uh, of course, grad students have always had, uh, you know, a lot of uh, international students. I remember there was uh, Hank Meyer, who uh, a Dutch student. He came to Queens in probably ninety-seven or seventy-seven. I mean, and Hank started playing soccer, and he was doing a master's. He then did his PhD in math, and then he got hired in the computing science department. And Hank played noon hour for I don't know thirty years or something, and then he moved back to Holland. Okay. Hey, uh, some would say he got the best of Canada while he was here. Well, he he unfortunately had to stop playing soccer because of uh, some neck injury. Uh, uh, that's a shame. Yeah, it was because he he loved the game and but uh, he 
was smart, he was wise, and realized, yeah, well, I don't want to end up badly injured. I'm just going to have to stop. Of course, of course. Um, so one thing that anyone that has shown up to Nooners in the entire time I've been there will know is that you are you are the commish. You lay down the rules. You are essentially the spiritual leader of the Nooners tribe. Um, how did you seize power, Mike? Because, you know, you've been talking about how you came in and you were playing with all these people and, you know, you weren't what the originator of Nunar soccer, but right. you have taken complete power. This is this is a dictatorship at this point. Yeah. How, how, did, how did you sort of, like, come into, come into this? It was slow. Uh, when I came back from, from out west and rejoined the game, uh, probably the first thing I did of significance was that I started to bring cones. You know, there, there you that... go. That was the start. That was the seed. <laughs> it's always the guy that organizes. <laughs> I was, the, I was that guy who was willing to sign equipment out. And it's, over the years, like various things came up that had to be dealt with, and I dealt with them. We had a. Uh, one year, I don't know this when this was, 1990 maybe, uh, maybe earlier than that. The, we wanted to go outside on the cricket field earlier than, than May, but the ground is soft and we didn't want to tear it up. So we would try and hold off. And every year there would be a push to get out onto the field. And I would be saying, we should wait another week until the ground gets solid. Okay, so we finally get out there. I was late that day. And there was uh, an argument between the, some parks people who were trying to do some work on the field and a guy named Coop, who was a famous Australian who played noon hour for, God, I don't know, 25 years probably. And Coop was belligerent, apparently. And by the time I showed up, uh, the thing had gone to hell, and bylaw enforcement officers had been called, and, you know, we weren't allowed to play. Well, the next day, I was trying to get this sorted out. I was making phone calls around the city to try and apologize for this. And I eventually got a hold of a guy who was furious because he had called Queens. And, you know, Queens disavowed any knowledge of the group whatsoever, right? They weren't going to throw me or anybody else under the bus. So we ended up uh, negotiating a settlement where we paid, I think it was 500 bucks a year to use Cricket Field. Really? Yeah. Wow. It was, a, it was, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it was 250 and I'm remembering this wrong. I, I had a great conversation with a, a guy from Parks and Rec who thought it was, he was embarrassed by the whole thing too. And instead of charging us whatever the fee would have been for a field five days a week, we came up with this number. And I went to whatever it was, 20 people, uh, or 
15 people and took 20 bucks off them, whatever the math was, right? We didn't, we didn't try and charge people. We just covered the cost. And we did that for, again, I, I can't remember. We did that for half a dozen years probably. And uh, sometime in the 90s, we started to play on Tyndall. Um, Queens had not allowed us to play on their fields when when noon hour got started. They they used to Kingston Field was absolutely sacred ground for Kingston's now Nixon, but it was sacred ground for the rugby team. And Tyndall Field would be staked, and they would open up one or the other of those fields to let Grad League play. And quite a few of us were playing in, on Grad League, but noon hour stayed on uh, Cricket Field. And some year in there, I, I wrote a letter to Queens and asked for permission to let the Nooners play on Tyndall. And, you know, there was a little back and forth. And Qu Queens doesn't really know how to deal with noon hour soccer. They want to support recreational fitness, right? They really do. And they do support, they do support the nooners. But where the hell do you put this in, in your policies? It's just this organic game that, you know, came out of nowhere and they like it and they don't really want to be responsible for it. You know, it works. Like uh, you, you started touching it already, but like, so is that just generally been the state of the relationship with Queens? Because you've been using Queens grounds and all that, and generally, you seem to know everyone in the athletics and recreation department at Queens. So, is generally the vibes from Queens towards Nooners is fairly positive, right? It is. Except for you know when yeah, we stay on the fields too long. Yeah. Or Tommy jumps on the field in March and <laughs> tries to get us going before we're allowed. Yeah. Yeah. Too too many snowballs. <laughs> they very early on, uh, the equipment counter staff were very supportive of Newnauer. But these are guys who, who work for a living, you know. And they would do things they would break the rules for, for Nooners. But they weren't reporting this to anybody. Mm -hmm. So the, the white clothing, we weren't, we weren't allowed, we weren't supposed to wear the white clothing on outdoor fields because it'd come back muddy. And there's a big sign up in the old phys ed center and we ignored that sign for however many years. And but people started to complain because our socks would come back muddy and you couldn't get them clean. So Greg, who is the manager, he spoke to me about this and He's getting all this static from other users, right? And we came up with the idea that Nooners would buy socks. We bought gray socks and Greg and his staff washed them. They kept them in a separate uh, box for us. And anybody who came to play noon hour soccer, they took the white socks out and put in a pair of grays. You know, it's fantastic. You, you couldn't get something like that approved if you went through official channels, but it worked really well. 
So you've mentioned that the relationship with Queens is a positive one, but are they aware of the impact that Nooners has had on, I mean, relative to the size of the school, I guess it's not a huge group, but um, for me, and I know for many others who found Nooners, it was a big part of helping us settle at Queens. Um, Kingston, I mean, Queens is a very, there are a lot of international students who go to Queens. And I can tell you, if you're coming straight from Nigeria, Kingston's nothing like you've ever (laughs) experienced before. Um, And Queens, for that matter. It's uh, it's quite different culturally. But somehow, Nunes was always... (sighs) Culturally... I want to say culturally accepting. Yeah. It was... It's 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 that culture of uh, football that yeah. you have pretty much everywhere. Because I had the same thing coming from Pakistan. Like the first um, August evening that I was in uh, Kingston, I was wearing a sweater and jeans, and everyone else was in like tank tops and shorts. Like I felt very out of place. But like coming in and like when you go and you start playing football, football is football wherever you are. It's a ball. It's at your feet. You're playing against people. You know, some of them are characters, some of them are fun to play with. You end up hating some of them, you end up loving some of them. Yeah. And Nooners was such a great way of sort of integrating yourself into the Kingston community. Like, I mean, look at it now. Like, we're all still talking to each other. We're all still friends. Yeah. We're all doing this together. Like, how aware were you? And, like, how early on were you aware of, like, the um, influence nooners could have on international students is like sort of building a community within a community almost yeah i it it, it, nooners is organic you know that wasn't by design that just is a natural thing that happens as you said you have a whole bunch of people who like to play soccer wherever they came from and we have an open door policy you know as long as you play by our rules, we're very happy to have you. And it's self-selecting too, right? You get, uh, people show up and they only play one game because they hate the no sliding rule. That was nearly me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It takes a while to get used to that one. Yeah. Right. Right. But if you're gonna let, uh, I mean, Max played until he was 80 something. Yeah. And if you're going to have you're going to have that guy against the 20 year old Tony O. Okay, when when Tony was 20, Max wasn't 80, but you know the span is uh, 60 years. So yeah. you got to have rules like that. Yeah, and no. Is aware. Go ahead, uh, Tony. No, I was just going to say it's um, if you understand very quickly why the rules are there and it helps generate like um, an environment of respect because everyone just by default enforces the rules really strictly right of course you have some people who get upset while playing but generally no I think yeah just even the peculiarity of the rules kind of meant that people who because it wasn't only people who played soccer previously or a lot that played there were all like different skill levels you know and no one wanted to be physically intimidated when they joined Nunes. Uh, that wasn't the point the point was just to have 
you know, a stress-free environment, a stress-free game for an hour right. or an hour and a half. So, yeah. Um, Two hours, depending on who's around to score last goal. <laughs> yeah. Right. Queens is aware of, of the things you guys are talking about. They've done articles about Nooners many times. I don't know how often I've been interviewed. In one year along there, I don't know when this was, either 2007 or something like that, maybe it was later, they gave me, Queens gave me a staff award, which was for noon hour soccer. I did not and know that. Yeah, like it was, it was a great gesture. I, I think, uh, I think Dave McDonald, who, nickname is Tuke. I think he was, yeah, he's a professor and he went through whatever the paperwork was. He got a whole bunch of players and staff and faculty and alumni to write very nice letters about how great noon hour soccer was for them and say nice things about me. But the award was really a recognition that Queen's value something like noon hour soccer. I thought it was a great honor. I was extremely happy to get that. We can't talk about Nooners without talking about the GKSSA. Um, as time pretty much went on, as the longer I played, it seemed the Nooners got more and more involved in the Kingston community of football, not just the Queens community of football. Was that something that you deliberately stared us to or... Was that more just something that organically happened? I know um, part of what actually helped me settle is I started coaching in Kingston. And, uh, yeah, that happened basically because I met Catherine, at, uh, yeah. a friend of ours at um, Nunara Soccer, and she, she had um, been coaching for a couple of years. So just in that kind of respect, um, I started coaching. Tommy started coaching, I think others um, did so as well so was that something that you I can't remember if you actively encouraged that or is that just I guess a byproduct of having so many different people in the community that played the uh, Nunara soccer as well we entered a team in the, the men's league the first time we played in the men's league would have been something like 1987 but the Nooners team had uh, equal playing time policy. We weren't really out to win these leagues. We occasionally did, um, but mostly we had a good team and, and we would compete. And we were in the B division and stayed in the B division for a very long time. And, but because of our policy, uh, we had all, an older team and we eventually sank into the C division and um, somewhere along there, a faction split off. We, this is maybe 20 years ago. And they had played with us for a season and had done well, but this group wanted to win. And so they split and became a team called Yellow Fever. And I think Yellow Fever did successfully win the A Division. However, that group didn't last because it was a couple of grad students who were the 
the moving force behind it. So they were a flash in the pan and disappeared and Nooners continued on for another, like, well, still does. Chris Harris, he decided that he wanted to actually win the goddamn league. <laughs> so, Tony, this, were you there for this part? Were you there uh, when Chris... Yeah, I was there. I was there. I just showed up. I watch the show every week, but yeah, I was there. Um, the Chris and Chris kind of divide. Yes. Yeah. yes. And I, I really mishandled that. I knew Chris Harris. I knew that Chris wanted to do this, and I, I didn't approach um, the other Chris. And I should have, because we could have had two Nooners teams. I think there was a way to, to do it where you would have had a group that was happy in the B division and have a group that was happy in the A, but that's not what happened. And, and people uh, felt insulted. And, and so Chris and Johan and some of the better players, they moved off to other teams and the Nooners continued in the A division and got slaughtered that year had a terrible year and I think they I don't know if they lasted you know that group I don't know if they lasted another season or not but the Nooners um, rejoined in the A division under Chris and Johan was a big mover amongst this and uh, I don't know Tommy this must have been about the time that you joined right yeah, so when this split happened, the very first season, um, I think it was Pilot, Pilot House LCFC. Was that yes. the... Yeah. Yeah, so, Mark, maybe. Yeah. So the first season, Nunes actually... We won two games that year. <laughs> I mean, two games we won uh, was against the other, I guess, Nunes team because we were really motivated that year. But Look, you um, always you always get your tails up for a derby, don't yeah, you? Yeah, <laughs> basically. Um, yeah, but you are right. The next season, uh, we kind of all transitioned to uh, the other team because um, we were, you know, a little bit ambitious. And yeah, uh, yeah it was rough for Nunes that year. Um, yeah, I think they were struggling to get players. Um as well so yeah eventually i think they somewhat folded and then chris um the ahmed and i guess mark kind of absorbed that team i'm not yeah. sure yeah yeah but, that's uh, right yeah fun times and, <laughs> yeah well and and then that became a really really good team right it took it probably yeah. took a couple years but there was a pipeline uh from Queens because Ahmed and Chris and Johan had connections through grad league and were recruiting strong players. And Tommy, I think you had connections in Kingston. And yeah, so there, I mean, Nooners have, pl have played okay in the A division ever since. We've gone I mean, through also, difficult times. You also had like consistent trials every day at noon. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's 
It's true that we, we have absolutely uh, managed to get players over the years. Noonauer is so different than the league, though. Yeah. Uh, because you, you need players who can dial it down for noon and then actually dial it up for the GKSSA. And not everybody has that switch. Yeah. Right. And then uh, eventually enough people left and I got my shot. <laughs> <laughs> I, I waited. I waited for years, toiling away every every day uh, on Tyndall at noon. <laughs> eventually, you ran out of wingbacks. <laughs> right. I, think, I think Drew left town. Yeah. yeah was that this? was a loss. That was a loss. Yeah. Yeah, I think this was the season after I left. Is there or like a season after, two seasons after? I can't remember. Uh, I think it was right after right you. Right after? Okay. And then like I just link up with you whenever you came back to play random games with us or in tournaments and stuff. Right. Okay. Yeah. I think we played, uh, we played a couple of um, Queens I, Leagues together. Yeah. We won, won the Grad League. At least yeah. twice, yeah. But, um, yeah, it's fun. It's fun to feel young back then. Now it's uh, a lot aches. Those, all those uh, dialing back the mics talking about, yeah, some of that was involuntary. <laughs> we kind of <laughs> had to dial it back on Nunes because we were aching from playing on Wednesdays. <laughs> right. I, had, I had so many Nunes games where I wouldn't move more than like i'd stay in a uh two meter by two meter box because yep. i was sore from uh, playing gksa the day before yeah just play defense you know pass the ball around occasionally make an interception yeah i don't know if they if they if they were if i was intercepting anything on those days because someone put a pass right to me <laughs> it wasn't going much further yeah Tony, you mentioned about you and Catherine and Tommy coaching. And I coached for a bunch of years uh, as well. And other Nooners coached. Lam Fo, uh, who was a wonderful youth coach. He had three kids. And Lam was a uh, really important Nooner for decades. Um, but one of the things that... it it's unfortunate that there isn't more of a pipeline between noon hour and the junior gales for coaching. I see a lot of people who are, they're good players, they're clearly good people, and would make excellent youth coaches. It's a big time commitment, you need a car, like not everybody can do it, but yeah. uh, it's a shame that there isn't more of that happening. There's a player uh, who's with us now, Julia, who I was trying to encourage to sign up and coach. And she seemed open to the idea. I, I don't know, t uh, Tommy is being quiet and nodding his head. But Julia is an example of somebody who would be a wonderful youth coach. And there's been a lot of more guys than, than women just because there's so many more guys who, who play at noon hour than women. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's an untapped resource. I think a difficulty is that um, 
like for me, for instance, I coached with Catherine, right? So yeah. it's you're not just going into it and doing it by yourself. It's always better to, or easier to do it with someone that you're familiar with. Um, and I think Tommy, did you? Sh- oh, he's not on the call. But he, uh, he can't yeah, respond. Yeah. Tommy <laughs> is re- uh, isolated in a strictly producer role uh, <laughs> for this. Yeah, but I think he came to a couple of my sessions um, afterwards, and then eventually he started doing it himself. I'm yeah, I'm sure he'll correct me if I'm wrong later. But um, yeah, no, you're right. There are. It is. There is an opportunity to get like a good, like a decent um, talent pool of um, people into the Kingston community just through coaching, right? Because it's it's really rewarding. There's a lot of yeah. work, but um, yeah, no. How did you, how did you get? I don't, but I might know. Um, yeah, so I got in through them. Christian. Christian. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I was okay. coaching with uh, this guy named Bob Cummings. And just thought, like, he asked me just out of the blue. Because I played. Pick- Tommy, we're in the middle of an interview here. Like, oh, hey, <laughs> hey, come, come coach. Like, yes, sir. And then Christian saw me there. Like, you're not, you're not with the Clippers. I don't have you. <laughs> Tommy is just Boy, not giving a shit. No, that we're like, doing okay. something else. <laughs> After watching this, I'll take you up to the better team. Like, okay. <laughs> Oh, okay. good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, sorry. Yeah. All right. Oh, Tom, my God. Tommy is, is just... But I asked him the question about if he, how he got into coaching. Oh, amazing. Um, good to have you on, Tommy. You would like kind of yep. hear us. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. All right. Well, I mean, like, I don't think we have anything left from our questions. Um so you know it's been, you know, Mike. are we are we recording here yeah so I, I i think we should give a shout out to christian huffler huffler absolutely uh, yeah. you know he has been fantastic for uh he plays at noon but he appreciates what noon hour is he has helped people become coaches in the youth um organization he runs those futsal tournaments every year which is just an absolute joy for me because the alumni come back it's fantastic and christian is super supportive about community soccer for people who don't know he's the queen's men's varsity soccer coach yeah so he's a busy guy he's very involved in the youth club as well I don't, is he technical director he's technical yep, director he of the ju- junior mm-hmm. gales you know he, he's been fantastic for queens Queens soccer for for the nooners and for kingston soccer oh it's really good to hear that the community has people who are investing in it because I mean that's that's what Nooners is to me. It's just that investment in the community in the end. Yeah. Yeah, no. Uh when I think of Kingston, first thing I think of is Nooners. And uh I have fond memories of Kingston mainly because of my time spent with you guys. So um yeah. 
yeah. There's a reason. Uh, there's a reason that every time we go back, we end up at Mike's to watch games. Yeah, exactly. And it's not. It's not <laughs> just Mike's fantastic home cooking. I was gonna say. <laughs> I was gonna it say. It does help. It does help, though. Yeah. It does help. Yeah, Mike no. sends a message. Was it yesterday? He's like, uh, uh, Tommy, are you are you hungry or would you want to eat while you're doing the pun? And I really considered driving down. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> I really considered it. I was like, ah, but then I'd have to do, come do, back. Do, yeah. a, do a rapid COVID test, drive down. Yeah, but uh, no. I mean, Mike, thank you so much for this time. It's genuinely been fantastic to hear all these stories. Um, or is there any last like nugget of wisdom or advice uh, that you have? No, I appreciate the fact that you guys had me on. I've really enjoyed the podcast. I listen to it while I do my hip homework. That takes me about 40 minutes, so I... I, you know, I, I listened to the first half today. I'll listen to the second half tomorrow. Uh, but it is fu- it's fun to eavesdrop on your conversations. You know, which, and it's, I, I, it is wonderful that friendships, the number of friendships, solid friendships that have grown out of noon hour soccer is beautiful. Yeah, no, you, uh, Mike, you played a huge part in that, Your listenership means, means so much to us. Yeah. Um, I guess all that's left to say is thank you so much for joining us, Mike, and thank you so much for everyone uh, that listened to this. Um, we hope to do more of these interview-style things to shine the light on other people involved in more grassroots football in the future. Um Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at 442. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Once again, thank you for joining me, Mike. Thanks. Thanks, Azar. And thank you for joining me, Tony. Pleasure as always, Azar. And thank you to the spirit of Tommy listening in the background. <laughs> yeah. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.